Well, this is what happens when we wait a day. This is what happens. We were all set to come into this week's edition of Crossed Up with a lot of positives about the Phillies, having started 7-2 and two through their first nine games. But then we decided, let's wait a day. Combination of reasons. There was a certain national championship game on last uh, on Monday night. One of your co- one of your hosts here spent part of the night in the hospital for the second time in in a week. You feel you feeling okay? You right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Right, um, and the fact of the matter is, uh, we wait a day, and then the Phillies give us a lot of grief and angst. They blow a six-one lead and lose 9-6 in extra innings to the Washington Nationals on Tuesday night. Still 7-3, still a great start to the season. Nevertheless, Bob Wankel and Anthony Sanfilippo are cranky at this hour while recording crossed up. (laughs) The Phillies don't always lose, but when they do, it tends to be in excruciating fashion. So... (laughs) Uh, that was uh, that was something else tonight. Phillies fall uh, to the Nationals 10-6 in 10 innings. They dropped a 7-3 on the season, and I think that we need to do the standard disclaimer. I think we need to get this out of the way right off the bat. The Phillies are 7-3. They are playing 700 baseball through 10 games. They have a formidable lineup. There have been several positives that we should feel really good about. And I think maybe later in the show, we may circle back to some of those positives. But uh, what we saw tonight is obviously troubling. And um, it, it seems to be symptomatic of what this bullpen is and, and really what it looks like it might be moving forward. And I think that that's the biggest concern. So I guess I want to – we'll talk about how this went down and, and really how the game played out. But – I think that there has to be some some degree of measure in this where you say, okay, we're in the second, third week of the season. It's only 10 games. These guys, you know, are going to, to pitch better than this, we think. Um, bullpens tend to be volatile. You know, like the, the, those are the ways that I can try to explain what we're watching right now if I want to take a little bit more of a grounded approach to this thing. But but certainly now what we've watched through 10 games, between the uh, loss that they had on the, on the road uh, in Washington last week, they blew the 8-6 lead after they made the big comeback uh, on the wen- in the Wednesday game. And then what we saw tonight, obviously, re- very, very concerning. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting, like, you know, I think we talked about it on the last episode. Um, maybe it wasn't the last one. It was two episodes ago. Uh, if I think it was the one we did right after opening day. Um, and I had one of our uh, one of the listeners to the podcast reach out to me on Facebook and said, "Do you want to change your opinion on on what, where this team's going to finish this year um, after a an awesome opening day?" And I said no, and, and the reason I said no was because I had legitimate concerns about the entire pitching staff, not just the bullpen, but bullpen being my number one concern. I also had some concerns about the starting rotation, um, and I thought that you know there's going to be games this year that the Phillies should absolutely win that they're not going to win because their pitching staff is not as good as it needs to be. Now, 
you did make a good point saying it's only 10 games. Um, you know, these guys are going to end up pitching better than what their uh, numbers look like right now. They're really ugly right now, but, you know, when you only pitch a couple of innings uh, in a season and you don't pitch well, you're, of course you're going to have bad numbers. <clears throat> and I think this is an epidemic across all of baseball, Bob, if you really kind of look around. There's not many bullpens who are really standing out early in the season like, oh, oh look at how good their bullpen's pitching. And um, I think I messaged you uh, last week at some point. I said, this is what happens when you have load management of your of your pitching staffs because what ends up happening is is that they are these guys have, are pitching less and less in spring training um, than they wanted to than they ever have before. And as a result, what you have is you get to the beginning of the season and you know the batters are are ready for a regular season and the pitchers probably aren't. And and that's and so you're going to see a little bit more teeing off on pitchers a little bit until they actually get into, you know, into regular season form. So there's a little bit of that. Well, you know who's actually been terrible uh in the bullpen this season? The Washington Nationals yes. entering tonight 10.17 ERA in 25 and two-thirds innings pitched. The worst bullpen in Major League Baseball and it really hasn't been close uh by by that specific metric. And then they go out and they throw six shutout innings tonight, uh, allow the offense to get back into it. And and really, I think that I think that what annoys me and what annoys you right now are going to be two different things. And so, can can I just go first because we'll I think eventually bridge to where you're at. All I know is that Aaron Nola came off a horrendous start, just really atypical, uh, his start last week against the Nationals. Um, I think he lasted three innings, um, just really uncharacteristic, a lot of extra base hits strung together, had problems keeping the ball in the yard. He comes back today, and he staked to a 6-1 lead at home, and he takes that 6-1 lead into the what? The seventh? Six, well, no, sixth inning. Sixth inning, okay, yeah, yeah because they got one, one in the, in the sixth. sixth, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, in theory, you could have gotten him out after six innings and said, hey, two earned runs, nice job, good bounce-back start for Aaron Nola. Given that the bullpen was strapped tonight, and like, let's not forget that they were limited and Gabe Kapler was limited in what he had out there this evening. He's had a lot of guys throw you know, three consecutive days, guys that he had to stay away from tonight. And that being said, he goes back to Aaron Nola in the seventh and says, you know, I, I need you, you're my guy, you're, you're my Cy Young candidate at the top of this rotation, you know, get me one more inning. And he's unable to do it. And so instead of turning in a, you know, a start that we feel pretty good about, again, he gives up five runs, this time four earned. He didn't give up five runs in any one start a season ago, and now he's done it in back-to-back starts this season. And am I overly concerned about Aaron Nola? Like, do I have, I guess, am I worried about what I think he's going to be in the coming months? No, I don't. I mean, I still expect him to to pitch at an all-star level, and and these are, I would presume, to be just some hiccups here in the early going. However, with that said, you have an important game. You know your bullpen's strapped. The manager shows confidence in you, and you go out and you lay a steaming turd in the seventh inning tonight, and then you make this a bullpen game when it really should not have been a high-leverage bullpen game especially on a night where you don't have all of your options in front of you. And he's going to get a free pass. Like, we're all just going to overlook Aaron Nola because this bullpen has been bad so far, and it was horrible tonight. But he should not get a free pass. He did not do his job this evening. Well, no, I'm not looking. I'm not overlooking Aaron Nola. I, it, he, was, he was my number two concern today. 
I thought bullpen was number one concern, but I thought Aaron Nola was concern number two. And even even with his first six innings, and there were a couple innings in there where he was really sharp. I mean, and, and uh, you know, he was efficient. Um, uh, there were a couple times I sat there and said, well, that pitch was kind of got away with one there. He kind of got away with one there. The Nationals were, um, you know, chasing. A, like he struck out Soto on one pitch that um, – Soto never should have should have swung at it was it was out of the zone and and you know he got him on a three two um, two seamer um, but I really didn't think that his his pitches were great I thought there were some were good some were just eh some he got he got away with so but of course they had the six one lead and and Washington was not taking a great approach at the plate against him he gives up the one and the sixth and I was a little like oh, that's probably you know there was an error. Uh, to start the inning, you know, Franco, throw, you know, bad throw that, that Hoskins couldn't scoop out of the dirt, and then he gives up the double to Rend- to Rendon, and I'm thinking, all right, well, he should have had the out, and then Rendon's Rendon. It was a, he, he just stuck his bat out and hit a double down the right field line. You know, that's not terrible, but you started to worry a little bit there. Seventh inning was a mess. It was just, he just had he had nothing, and he had only thrown 81 pitches to that point. And that's a that's a concern to me. If you if you've completely lost your feel for your pitches after 81 pitches, that's not good. Um, and like you pointed out, like he didn't have a you know he was he was okay in opening day. He was fine. Uh, second game in Washington was absolutely lit up, and then it was okay. It kind of battled through it, and then like you know if you if you take him out, not to say Kapler should have taken him out sooner, but if you do take him out sooner. Um, you probably go okay. Eh, it's a, that's a nice bounce back, but it's on. That's on Nola. That's not on Kapler. I I don't put anything on on Gabe here. He, Gabe did what he had to do in this game, and and his players didn't respond. Yeah, I agree. I think actually the way that this game was mapped out, Kapler handled it the only way that he really could have handled it. To be perfectly honest with you, I mean, I think that this was the way that it had to be. I think he he saw the multi-run lead. I think he says, you have to give me that seventh inning. And then that's going to leave me with Hector Neris and Edibri Ramos. And and hopefully that's going to be enough to get through the game. And as it, as it turns out, it obviously wasn't. And then he had to use Dominguez. And I think in a perfect world, he probably wouldn't have gone to him tonight either. Um, and, you know, Dominguez did get them out of the seventh. A couple things that I noticed, and I guess here's my concern, because it's not like one guy is, is tripping up again and again, and I know that, that David Robertson was the, uh, you know, the, the primary suspect last week, and he sort of stabilized in, in his last couple of appearances. I trust him, and I trust that Robertson's going to be a good pitcher for this team. He's been a really good reliever for over 10 years now in Major League Baseball. I just don't think that he's he's all of a sudden going to turn into a pumpkin. Like there's a, a legitimate track record and he's pitched in high leverage innings on very good teams that have played important games. And I just believe that he'll be okay. I don't know that he's going to necessarily recapture his old form at his peak, but this should be a quality reliever for this team. Guys like Hector Naris, like we've talked about Hector Naris a couple times now, and he, he did get the job done tonight, though he certainly walked the tightrope. I like Hector Neris. I think there's a spot for him in this bullpen. I, I think that Edebrey Ramos is a, is a decent reliever. Like I think that there's a spot for him in this bullpen. I think that the problem is is that 
there's not one guy. We talked a lot last year about Gabe Kapler not assigning specific roles to his relievers. I can't say that I necessarily blame him for not doing that because none of these guys are standing out in the way that you say, well, he's my seventh inning guy, he's my eighth inning guy, and then certainly there's not anybody out there right now that you say, this is my closer. You know? It just... There's no feel, there's no rhythm in this bullpen right now, and I don't really know how to assign blame for that. Yeah. It is it is early. They they didn't pitch a lot in the spring, as you pointed out. I think you pointed that out last week. It, it's not that I want to cut or get rid of or send one of these guys down to AAA. It's just I look at it right now, and it's just this revolving door, and you just don't know what you're going to get from anybody on any night. Yeah. Um, like, I, like, I'm going to look at Naris for tonight. Like, he gets out of his inning, right? Um, my thought process was, I think, that they were hoping to get a, a quick eighth out of him and bring him back for the ninth, I, not even go to Ramos. I really believe that that was kind of the plan. Um, you know, if he had a manageable, if he could have gone 15 pitches in the eighth, 15 pitches in the ninth, I think that that's... Not 30 in the eighth. Yeah, I think that, that would, they would have been much better with better off with that. Um and it turns out, I mean, what, he had to give up two walks, and then he, you know, tight-roped his way to three outs um, and didn't even give up a run. So it's not like it was a terrible outing, but he had a battle. And the thing that was the most interesting thing about it was, I mean, if you go back and look, uh, after he walks Dozier, the next three hitters was all splitters. I think he threw one fastball to Zimmerman, and Zimmerman yanked it down yeah, the line. Yeah, he turned on it, yep. Yeah. Um, but it was all it was all. Uh, splitters um and i'm thinking to myself you gotta at least show something else you give them something even if you throw the if you don't if you don't have confidence in your fastball which he obviously didn't at least throw it you know a ball away you know just to sit give them some different velocity a different spin on the ball different look at it well there's two ways and then to come back that. to it I, the, the splitters after one after another after another after another you're really then you really are walking a tightrope then I think that the Phillies in the game plan going into that, though, say, okay, we're in, and I keep using this phrase, but it's it's the phrase they use, so we're in a high-leverage situation, you're out there, this is your best pitch, You, if you're going to get beat tonight, it's going to be on your best pitch, and it looked like any time that he showed anything that was you know, outside of the splitter, it looked like it was going to be a potential disaster, so then I think the Phillies committed to that, and he gets through the inning, and that's great, but kind of to your point, because he was only throwing the splitter, it's not the most efficient pitch on earth. So now he's running up the pitch count. I mean, it's just pitch after pitch after pitch. And instead of maybe getting through that inning at 20 to 23 even, he gets, you know, all the way up to 30. And, and then that gets him out of the game after the eighth inning. And then Ramos, uh, you know, comes in, in in the ninth and is one strike away. And, and he hangs, I, I guess it was a, a 2-2. Was it a slider he hung there? Yep. Uh, and, and it's belted by Robles out of the yard to tie the game. And... It's just, I think it's the way, it's not just that the bullpen's been ineffective. Like, I mean, we talk about it coming into tonight. They're actually in the middle of the road in terms of bullpen ERA. They're in the high threes after tonight. Bullpen's now pitched 35 innings over the first 10 games, and they have a 4-6-3 ERA. Now, obviously, ERA is not the end-all, be-all in terms of, of, of performance metrics, but it, it kind of goes to show you that's not really good. That's not where you want to be for sure. And I just think that the way that the bullpen has lost these these two games to the Nationals 
is it kind of exacerbates the issue. And then obviously they lose on Saturday, three to two game in the ninth inning, and Dominguez gets taken deep, and that blows the game wide open. So it's been the bullpen in all three losses. It seems to be the one thing standing in the way from the Phillies being far and away the best team in the National League East, and and really the way that the NL has has gotten off to a start here outside of the Dodgers, who I believe are as we speak right now are losing or have already lost to the Cardinals, so they're starting to cool off a little bit now, too. I mean, you could say that the bullpen's the one thing that's preventing the Phillies from being the class of the National League right now, so I understand why people are pissed off watching this. I get it. Um, I, I guess here's my question for you, then. Would the Phillies be wise to be proactive here and try to do something to rectify the issue in terms of personnel? Like, you make a move, you bring somebody up, you sign Craig Kimbrell, which is a thing that is just lighting up my mentions. There's a, a couple guys that read the site religiously that listen to this show, and we appreciate that. But I got this one guy, and he's killing me. He's like, I can't believe you don't want the Phillies to sign Craig Kimbrell. And I don't. And I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But is is this something that you just kind of say, look, it's 10 games. Like, let these guys figure it out before we you know hit the panic button and make a move here? Or... Do you think that there's legitimate reason for concern and that this is something they need to handle now? Yeah, I, I'm not a – first of all, I'm not a Kimbrel guy. Um, here's the thing. I mean, people can sit there and, you know, it could be our listeners. It could be other – it could be Philly's Twitter. It could be any fan sitting in the in Citizens Bank Park and identifying that the bullpen has been an issue and say, well, they should sign Craig Kimbrel. Well, you know what? There's how many other teams in Major League Baseball, and they haven't signed Craig Kimbrell either. So there's got to be a reason for that. Now, of course, part of it's probably that he wants too much money or too long of a contract. The teams aren't willing to give it to him, and so they're basically playing that waiting game with him. But, uh, you know, I'm sure that a team that would be desperate enough to sit there and say, you know what, our bullpen really needs that infusion, we'll go out and make that move, Um would have done that by now or would have reached out by now. And I mean, you no, know, who knows? Maybe people are talking to his agent. I don't know. But the, the fact that he hasn't signed tells you a lot about where he was at the end of last year. His velocity was down. He was being hit around. He was a disaster in the playoffs for Boston. Um, like, do you just assume that this guy's going to come in here and, and save the day? I, I don't. So I'm not uh, of that mindset that we need to go out and spend money on Craig Kimbrell, especially, um, you know, you go seven and three in the first ten games. That's great. If if not to say they're going to keep up a seven hundred pace, but you're going to be in this thing come come trade deadline in July. And if you want to, you know, get the pieces you need at that time to make the push for the playoffs. Signing Craig Kimbrell now does you no good. Yeah, I mean, and people are saying to me, like, well, don't you recognize that he's better than what the Phillies have? Yes, I, I agree with that. I absolutely agree that Craig Kimbrell would be an upgrade to the Phillies bullpen. Now, you have concerns about his performance, as do I, but I would be willing to admit that he would certainly be a big boost for this team. However, you're 10 games into the season, and just because you didn't like a couple of the team's losses doesn't mean that you should bang your fists and say, I need the, the shiniest new object, the shiniest new toy on the market right now to make myself feel better. And to me, that that's I'm all for aggressive spending and, and sacking up and making the big-time move if it's going to help the team. And so in response to that, someone would say, well, this would be that move. 
And here is my issue. You are 10 games into the season. There is a chance that this is going to even itself out a little bit. You probably will need to add to the bullpen. And I said to one guy, he goes, well, why not do it now? You know, who cares about the rotation? They look fine. I'm like, you say that now. Let's see how you feel in mid-June. You know, and, and maybe we get to Vince Velasquez a little bit later. I wasn't expecting to see this meltdown tonight, and he was going to be one of the things I wanted to talk about. But when you look at what Zach Eflin's done so far, is that sustainable? How good do you really feel about Vince Velasquez now in year four with the Phillies? I thought he looked very much the same pitcher that he's looked like at times over the, the first three seasons that he's been here. Aaron Nola, all of a sudden, not great. Uh, I'm not overly worried about him, but... You know, there, there's at least a reason for some some pause, I think, at this point. And, and then Nick Pavetta, you know, who we like and we've talked about for, for over a year now in terms of him turning the corner and having front of the rotation stuff, he's been very unimpressive his first two times out. And then that leaves you with Jake Arrieta, who, you know, we'll see. So I think that the Phillies are going to need to add a starting pitcher at some point. And I do think that they're going to need to add to the bullpen, too. It's not that I don't think that they need to upgrade or look into you know, uh, options outside of the organization, whether it be now or in a couple months from now. But going out and dropping a mega deal in Craig Kimbrell's lap, it to me just makes no sense. I just think it hamstrings your financial flexibility. I think it's a panic move, and I, I don't think it's the best move for this team. You're, you're not wrong. You're not no, wrong. And, and that's the thing. And, like, am I annoyed watching this? Yeah, because I think that the Phillies could be 9-1 and one right now. And, uh, you know, I, I – had a story queued up about Bryce Harper taking Steven Strasburg deep because he was so disrespectful to throw the same pitch in the same spot three straight times, and Harper lights him up for a three-run homer. I mean, think about how much more fun this would be right now if the Phillies were actually winning, you know, winning games like this, winning the game like last week. They're 9-1. and one. Harper's demolishing the Nationals in the early going, just burying them. But instead, we're talking about bullpen implosions and the Harper three-run homers sort of an afterthought tonight. And, you know, these games matter. You know, I will say that. I, that's one thing I will concede. You know, I say it's, we're only 10 games in, and I do think that that's such a small sample size. And, and I think it's more than enough reason not to hit the panic button. But at the same time, these games do matter. And the Phillies could be creating major separation here in the early going if they simply would just hold down leads. And, and so I understand the frustration. I really do get it. But I just – you can't completely melt down and blow everything up because because of a couple bad games in the first half of April. No, you can't. But at the same time, you, you got to look, sit there and look at you know ten ten games worth of uh, relief pitching. I guess it's what thirty five innings now that they've had out of the bullpen, and they have a WHIP of one point three four. Yeah, um, I mean, it's that's twelve twelve point four base runners per nine. I mean that's that's not good, and you know that's that's over a span of. 35 innings. Yeah. You know, if we were talking one player and looked at 35 innings, that would be a decent sample size for a relief pitcher. But we're talking, you know, eight guys at 35 innings. So, um, yeah. But, uh, you know, it, the concern remains. And it's going to be there. It's going to be there for a while. And you're right. Robertson's going to be better. Um, I still I'm, I still like Hector Neris. I just wish – I wish that Hector, Hector Neris would have a, a third pitch. Just to, yeah. just to every once in a while. I don't care if it's a slider, a cutter, change up, whatever. Just a third pitch besides the splitter and the fastball. Because if he had something else that he could throw off speed, that that way if he's not feeling great about his fastball like he was tonight, even if you show it twice, it's enough 
to, to keep a batter off balance. And, and I think if he had that, I would feel so much more confident about Hector Neris and, and really as Hector, Hector Neris as your ninth inning guy. I would feel great about him as a ninth inning guy if he would just have a, another pitch that he can that he can just show you here and there. It's it's funny. One of the things that I I, I think we both sort of agreed on last season and, and questioned was really Matt Clintac's ability to build a bullpen. And they go out and they make a bunch of moves this offseason. They get the Pazos kid in the in the Segura deal, and you're like, oh yeah, maybe he'll be a lefty option and. Jose Alvarez, who was a nightmare tonight, um, that, that ball that Soto hit, it's just yeah. like, like, come on, man. But like we we all kind of went like, oh yeah, like uh, Alvarez was was pretty good with the Angels last year. I I can't believe that they would have traded a lefty reliever like that for who was in that deal, Luis Garcia, I believe, yep. Yep. who the Phillies sent over and. You know, we got tired of watching him fail, even though he had a big arm and all that stuff. And so we go, you know, Jose Alvarez, that'll that'll be a, a quality left-hander out of the bullpen. I can't believe the Angels would do that deal. And and here we are, and, and again, early on, but he has not been the, – the early returns have not been encouraging. I think that that would be fair to say. And so I do wonder if I, – I just, I guess, I don't like what they've done with the bullpen now over multiple seasons, and I think that that's part of the reason that I'm even a little bit more concerned than I otherwise would be if this was just a ten-game sample in this one particular season. Yeah, and and and, and the other thing is, is that you know they they had a lot of confidence in guys from last year to come in and repeat what they did, but. You know, you and I have talked about Sir Anthony Dominguez. He's not the guy that you saw at the beginning of last year. He's just nah. not. He, he's more what he is now. I mean, this is what he is. Um, and yes, again, it, you know, only a couple of games that he's played. But when you put together the whole second half of last year and what you're seeing at the beginning of this year, this is what he is. And he's going to give you some games where he gives you, a, you know, a clean inning. Um, you know, maybe even a dominant inning because of his fastball, you know, hitting up there at, 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 uh, at 97, 98. Um, maybe he gives you an inning where like, wow, that looks good. And he does it first period of games. Then he's going to have a game where he just gets smacked around or he walks a couple of guys and gives up a couple of runs. He's, he's just not consistent enough for me. So to, to count on him as one of your key guys in that bullpen, I think that was, a, a that was a mistake. Um, coming into the season, that can be rectified. You go out and you get the guy to replace him and just make him, you know, sixth, seventh inning kind of like part of that group. Um, but at the same time, you can't rely on him. Robertson will be better. Naris, again, like we've talked about him a few times. I mean, so so like there was nothing here that we just went outside of Robertson. There's nothing in here that you went, oh yeah, I'm confident that that guy's going to be a. <laughs> Going to be yeah. able to lock it yeah. down at the end of the game, like that's yeah. he's the only one, and then he had got off to a terrible start. So, so yeah, this the bullpen has been a problem for a while now, and to just you know th- throw it together and say, oh, this will be this this collection will be fine. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. Even Nishek, who got off to who's pitched more than I ever thought he would at the beginning of this season, right? I mean, with, with he's he's thrown more innings. Almost more innings in in April so far than I think he ever, he threw in an entire month uh, in the last two years that he's been here. Um, 
but you know, even Nishek, who's who's been okay, um, he got a little, he got hit a little bit uh, yesterday before he finally locked it down. You know, and he's decided, all right, let me go out there and really pitch now after he gave up a couple of, of, of rough hits. But, I mean, he's, he's already thrown five and two-thirds this season. He's got six appearances in ten games. That's a, that's a ton for Pat Neshek. Yeah, and if you go deeper into, like, I look at Dominguez, and he's the one guy, because I think that the the idea behind this bullpen was that he was going to be a dominant piece in the back end, and I know that they were relying on that, and there are some things that are a little bit concerning about him in the early going, and if I were to tell you, hey, listen, his his average four-seam fastball right now is 96.9 miles per hour, you'd say, well, that's, that's some pretty good zip on that thing. Here's the only issue. It was 98 last season. And this year, the slider is down half a mile an hour on average, uh, which affects the spin, and, and there's less spin on it. And, you know, so here's, here's the issue then. He's not striking anybody out. I mean, the strikeouts are down. He, he goes from, uh, if I'm looking at this right, yeah. On the four-seam fastball last year, um, he was at 25.7% K rate, and now it's down to 18.2%. I mean, that's just, it's, that's not good, you know? And so you see less swings and misses. The velocity is a little bit down, and that definitely has hurt his effectiveness. What made him exciting was how electric his stuff was and the way that it moved. And it seems like there's a correlation between the velocity and the movement on the pitch. So it's not just, oh, well, he's throwing it a little less hard. It's still the same pitch. It's not the same pitch, and it doesn't have the same bite, and it doesn't have the same giddy-up. And when you combine those two different factors – that's where the struggles come into play. I don't know. Like I'm not ready to make a definitive conclusion that he won't revert back to something in between what he was in the second half of last season and what he was in the first half, which would be a really good piece out of the bullpen if he, if he just falls in the average of those two extremes. But if this is what he's going to be, what we've seen so far this season, then he's just another guy. You know, He's another guy that's going to come out and have a good night, and then he's a guy that's going to come out and he's, he's – He's not going to have a good night. He's going to be just game to game, and you have to kind of hold your breath, which it seems like that's what the Phillies have a lot of right now. Yeah, and that's and that's a shame because there were a lot of positives that I was looking forward to talking to. And as I said in the open, there are a lot of things about this team that I really wanted to come out and, and today and say, yeah, here's what's impressing me. And... um even with the concerns that I still had about pitching, and as you pointed out, the starting rotation, I mean, really, who's who's come out and impressed you other than the one five-inning start by Velasquez? Like, is, I mean, Eflin? I, I, Zach Eflin I guess, been, yeah. has been awesome. You know, I mean, really, he's exceeded expectations at this point. I think he's gone 12 innings, one one earned run, I believe yeah. he's, but he's that's, at but right that, now. And that's it. That's it. Yeah, I no, mean, no one else is. No one else has jumped off the page. Uh, you know, Arietta struggled through his opening start uh, in the Sunday night game against the Braves, but he still got through six innings. He gutted it out. He had one bad inning on Saturday against the Twins. Uh, yeah, it was early the, the on. Two home runs. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, he still lasted seven innings. Only gave up three runs, and and I think he left the game with seventy five pitches. And he was really out of the game because the offense faltered on that particular day. I mean, any other day he may have pitched into the eighth or even the ninth inning at that point and where he was at in terms of pitch efficiency. So, I mean, there have been some decent starts here. It hasn't been overwhelming. Like, you know, when the Phillies were rolling in in the first half last season, we just said this starting pitching has just been so impressive. I don't think that impressive is a word that you would use to describe what we've seen from this group so far. I would call it functional. That's a, a favorite word of mine. I think it's 
functionally competent would be the way that I would phrase it. They're they're doing just enough to allow what has been an above average offense to kind of carry them. Um, but you know, you saw it over the weekend. The last couple Twins games, uh, the, the offense wasn't great. Uh, you know, really on Monday night they kind of eked out the four three win, and then it did shut down for the final six frames tonight as well. Like at some point they're going to need to get better pitching because I know that there's this thought out here that the Phillies can score three four runs every inning they take the field and they step into the batter's box and they're going to be one of the most electric offenses in the National League. That very well may be true, but if you can't get anybody out then it really is going to be hard to separate yourself in this division because as we're seeing as they play the Nationals, this team can swing it too. You know, as, as much as the Phillies need Bryce Harper and as much of a fit, like just an absolute perfect fit this seems to be for the Phillies, the Washington Nationals offense is going to be just fine without Bryce Harper. Well, yeah, and you know, it, it, I think we talked about it three or four times uh, over the winter. The reason the Nationals weren't so concerned is because they had a kid named Victor Robles who's going to come into this lineup and be able to replace Harper. Now, they're batting him at the bottom of the lineup right now, but I guarantee you Victor Robles doesn't stay as their number nine hitter for long. Um, you, you saw tonight, I mean, he was clutch, and, you, you know, yeah, Ramos gave, threw, him a, threw him a cupcake. But Kid, um, kid turns 22 next month. Yeah, yeah kid, so. kid, can, kid can play. He can play a little bit, and yeah. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, they, they don't have a – you're talking about a, a team that doesn't really have a hole in the lineup. I mean – How about when Alvarez faced Rendon tonight in the 10th? Like, what, what did yeah. they think the result of that at bat was going to be? Yeah. Like, was there any scenario in which he was going to get him out? It just yeah no it's just, it's it's a look I mean you're talking about a Nationals team that had a pretty solid lineup tonight no Trey Turner yeah right I mean it, Turner's hurt he's out because of the the broken finger um, that happened against the Phillies last week um, and Dozier's off to a terrible start but other than that I mean they have a yeah, they're, they, swing. They're, they swing the bat really well throughout that lineup. So uh, so yeah, I mean there's 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 something that the Phillies have to be concerned about. Um, I guess it's a good thing that maybe you got six of their 19 games against them out of the way in the first week of the week and a half of the season. So I look at it, and we're talking about the rotation here a little bit. And though I don't think either of us have been impressed thus far by this rotation, I, again, it's easy to look at the Phillies on a, on a daily basis and kind of. I, you know, analyze to death what they're doing well, what they're not doing well. But when you take a step back, and I know you do this, and you look around the league, right, and, like, you just see what's going on around Major League Baseball, some of the things that jump out at you right now, you just say, like, oh, my God. You know, like, if you look right now, the Phillies sweep the Braves out of Philadelphia in the opening series, and the Braves have just been white hot since. I mean, they're pounding the Rockies again tonight. Like, they've been red hot. I look at what the Mets have been doing. The Mets have gotten off to a pretty decent start. They lost tonight to the uh, to the Twins. They lost 14-8. to Do you know who started the game tonight for the Mets? DeGrom. Yeah, four innings, eight hits, six earned runs, one walk, only three strikeouts. He gave up three home runs. Snapped his uh, quality start streak. He had tied Bob Gibson's record for most consecutive quality starts in Major League Baseball history. He would have broke it if he did it tonight. It's amazing. And (laughs) we saw that the Twins can swing the bats a little bit. We saw that this weekend at times. I guess... If we're going to melt down over Aaron Nola having two bad uh, two bad starts on back to back, you know we got to stop and say like, hey, look, the guy that just won the Cy Young Award was was miserable tonight too. I mean, like these things happen, and you just you can't overreact to them too much. But at the same time, 
you know, <laughs> I get being a little bit uncomfortable by it, I guess. So now you said you you had some some positive chatter that you wanted to bring to the table tonight. Like, so let's pretend, pretend that Ramos, let's pretend Ramos gets that out. It's uh, it's about an hour ago. We don't wait another hour to record. And this is really our fault, everybody, because we record tonight, and we, again, we cannot record if we don't cross over the midnight threshold. And if the Phillies would have hung on to that lead, there was a decent chance that would have happened. But uh, such is life. Here we are. Yep. So they're 7-3 now. They blow this game. But what what are we feeling good about right now? What if I said to you that the and of course obviously the offense is great, right? But what what if I said to you that this Phillies team is winning in spite of the way baseball has trended? Does that make sense? In other words, they are doing things the way it used to be in baseball. I mean, yeah, they have. Yeah, they have their home runs. Yeah, they have their walks. I get it, right? But I mean, that's the kind of that's the kind of players that they have in the lineup. But they're they're getting clutch hits. They're moving runners along. They're taking an extra base, like McCutcheon did. Uh, was that yesterday where he um, took third on the uh, on the ground out um, because they were the the Nationals were in a shift and he just went and, and took third base? Or my thing was that maybe that was Sunday against Minnesota. It was one of the last two games. Um, they're not shifting the Phillies. They did they, a couple, they do a couple times, obviously, but they are the third third fewest shifts in baseball so far. That's pretty interesting, especially after last season, uh, right? Know. Okay, I mean, just... third fewest. Um, and and you pointed out, I think, on the uh, last episode, um, you know, they they're Gabe's managing the starting pitching on feel a little bit. And, you know, he left Pavetta in for a sixth inning, left Arietta in for a seventh inning, left Nola in for a seventh inning. You know, let these guys go and get it because we can't burn out the bullpen. And lo and behold, Bob, they're, they're, they're finding success in playing the game the way baseball's played and the way that the sport survived for over a century, that it didn't suddenly need to change as dramatically as it has. And... I, you know, being the old guy, you know, being the, you know, being the man who's been on this earth for almost a half a century now, th- that is warming to the heart to know that, guess what? You could still play baseball the way it was meant to be played and be successful in today's game. And the Phillies of all teams are proving that. It's interesting that you talk about the defense and pitching aspect of this because I agree with that, but... I want to talk about the offensive aspect of this. And I know that there was probably one at-bat tonight that brought you more joy than any other at-bat in this game from the Philly standpoint. And that had to be in the fourth inning when Gene Segura the triple. hit the triple. Yep. I mean, because I actually made the point, and I tweeted this out, and I think it kind of bears repeating. Um, to me, Segura is not going to be the guy that gets the ink, right? Like, he's not going to get the headlines. But he has that that type of presence where he's just sort of in the middle of everything. And like, I, I feel like it's kind of lame using the, the 07 to 2011 Phillies as the comparison for everything. 
But like I threw out the names of Victorino and Ruiz. Like they aren't the first guys that you think of when you look at those teams, but they were always in the middle of the important at bats, the important innings. They made things happen, and I feel like from an offensive standpoint, his ability to spray the ball all over the place, the power numbers aren't going to be there. Like I think he's he's going to end up being like a nine ten home run guy here. But that's totally fine. It's just such a different dynamic that he brings to the lineup. And somebody on Twitter made the point and actually responded to my tweet and said, he's he's like the complete opposite of what the 2018 Phillies were built upon. And it's so true. I mean, he just he's a totally different player uh, outside of that mold that we thought that they were going to want. He, he doesn't walk a ton. The power isn't necessarily there. But, man, the guy can just hit and hit and hit. And he's been ultra impressive to me so far. Yeah. Um, I, I was not, uh, you know, I remember when they made the trade and I, I, I kind of poo-pooed a little bit his defensive game, um, although he has been pretty solid defensively. Yeah, I would say he's, he's been very solid thus far. Uh, so far. Um, but I always liked his bat. And, um, I mean, there were, who knows what the, the issues were in locker rooms that he's been traded so many times. Um he has not obviously it's only 10 games but he's not even come close to looking anything like that like a like a like a clubhouse cancer by any stretch of the imagination but he can flat out hit and he's a throwback player he chokes up on the bat bob oh my god it's it's like i i i, I, I watch i point it out every time like yeah. i'm sitting there watching with you know if i'm watching yeah. with my kids or watching with my dad i'm very there, active look, look. hands two strikes throw yeah. your hands to the ball make yes. it happen yes yeah. he's that kind of hitter and what's he doing what does he do he gets on base all the time and it's great to watch he goes the other way he he basically he pits the ball where it's pitched it's such a great approach that Gene Segura has, and he's quickly becoming one of my favorite guys on this team because of that. And and it's it's crazy because I sit there and say, oh my, it's it's just because it's the, you know it's the old way to play. No, it's not. It's if you watch it happen, you say, yeah, that why can't why can't more guys in professional baseball, not just on the Phillies, why can't more guys in baseball do that? Like that's that's a great approach at the plate as a hitter. I, and I don't yeah. understand. Everybody wants to hit the home run, but boy, oh boy, I'll take a guy who hits 350 <laughs> <laughs> and gets on base all the time. I'll take him. Yeah. That's my guy. So you go up and down the, the box score after tonight, and I'm looking at some of the averages, some of the OPSs at this point, and you know, McCutcheon's kind of crashed back to earth a little bit. He's only hitting 216 now, but the OPS is still over 800. The one guy that, that really has struggled, and JT Romuto has struggled as well. He did have three hits tonight and a couple infield hits. He's up to 257 now. And, and just one quick note on him. I kind of went back and looked. I said, is this guy ultra consistent? Has he had really bad months before? And the last two seasons, he had one bad month in each season. Uh, in August of 2017, he hit 183 with a 587 OPS. And then August of last year, he hit 202 with a 631 OPS. So we have seen bad months from JT Romuto before, and we've seen bad months from most hitters, but he's, he's really struggled at times over the past two seasons. The thing that's a little bit unusual is that he's a career 297 hitter in March and April, and his career OPS is 792 in March and April. So the sluggish start for him is, is a little bit strange, but now he has the three-hit game tonight. He's up to 257 and a 728 OPS. That leaves one guy right now who just simply isn't even close to being on par with the rest of this lineup, and he mans second base, and that's Cesar Hernandez, who was back in the lineup tonight. 
after Scott Kingery got his first start of the season on Monday night. Hernandez was 0 for 5 this evening with two strikeouts, and uh, I mean, he's down to 152 right now. Is that, do you, I guess I'll ask this two ways. Do you have concern about Cesar Hernandez, or are you relying on that track record of his that you say, like, he'll be fine? Uh, or, I, I mean, so to le- what level of, of concern do you have, and then should Scott Kingery be playing more? Yeah, um, that's, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. Um, I was the, the one little surprise that I had tonight when I saw the lineup was that Kingery was not in the lineup, especially after going two for four. Uh, uh, yesterday, uh, Monday against the against the Nationals, he had so never kinda, faced Strasburg before. Yeah, I, I get it, and and that's probably why it's tough pitcher, and you want to build confidence with Kingery, and so rather than go out against you know a guy who the Phillies haven't beaten in three four years, um, let's give him another night off and then maybe give him a start again tomorrow, um, and go back to Hernandez. I, am I concerned about Cesar Hernandez? I'm not concerned about Cesar Hernandez. I think Cesar Hernandez is what he is. Um, yeah, his numbers are, are terrible, but I mean, again, it's ten games. We always we keep pointing this out, right? I mean, the, the Nationals keep throwing Brian Dozier into the two hole when he's hitting. 08, I, I right? remember doing this last year when we first started doing the show. Yeah. I felt like I needed to prove to people that I wasn't like completely overreacting. So I would yeah. say again, now as a qualifier, small sample size. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm, I'm just taking the training wheels off on that though. At this point, like I think we get it. We all understand it's ten games, but you know, yeah, um, we gotta we gotta talk about something. <laughs> Well, let me let me say it this way. Let me say it this way. When we did our our four bold predictions, I think I, I think one of my four bold predictions was that Scott Kingery was going to be a, a far more integral person in this lineup uh, than was maybe perceived to be here at the beginning of the year. Um, and and in that vein, I thought it was not necessarily at third base, but more so at second. Um, I think ultimately Scott Kingery is going to be going to take over this role. Um, I'm not sure it's going to happen right now. I think you might see him get, you know, a couple more starts, though. I think he I think he now becomes your ninth player with a little bit more regularity than we've seen through the first 10 games. And, and I love the fact that Gabe hasn't touched the lineup other than Andrew Knapp got his two starts and Kingery got one. And everything else has been exactly the same. I, I can't stress enough how much that matters and 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 that how much that builds success um for a team and built because of the comfort level and everybody knows what's happening i I firmly believe that so i i love the fact that that's happened that said i i can see kingery stealing starts um over the next several weeks maybe not becoming the the primary guy but i think getting you know, uh, almost into a platoon type situation with um, with Hernandez, and and almost let it say, All right, let's see who can win this battle over the course of the next you know three weeks. And, and then, really, it, it there's no reason then for Kingery not to be more involved. He is, in theory, the guy that you're going to turn to long term. This is the guy that you had enough confidence in that you signed him to that deal at the end of the spring training last season. This is a guy that you penciled in and gave over 400 at bats to last year, even though he struggled. I mean. Cesar Hernandez, I don't think, is going to be a part of this team's plans beyond this season. So the Phillies should be ultra-motivated for Scott Kingery to take this job. And if Hernandez is going to play like this, he's certainly opening the door. He's not even part of the conversation at third base, though, right now because of what Mike Alfranco's done. 
And so that's that's also been outstanding. Like to keep Kingery off the field because Franco's playing well is great, but at this point, like I don't I think that I'm I'm willing to because if I'm going to show patience with the bullpen, if I'm going to say, "Well, wait a minute, let's not freak out here." I'm willing to grant another you know, eight to ten games for Hernandez, but if he doesn't turn it on here as as the month of April comes to a close, at some point the Phillies have to just turn it over to Kingery. I mean, if if someone's going to hit 220 in that spot, it it ought to be him. The Phillies, I think, have tried to shop Cesar Hernandez in the past. I I don't think there there was really the market that they were hoping for. I don't know if they really seriously entered discussions this past offseason. But I don't think that he's going to fetch anything in return, frankly, anything meaningful or significant in return. And I don't think he's part of this team's long-term plan, so I don't really understand why you would be willing to stick with Hernandez really beyond another week or two if he doesn't continue to pick it up. No, yeah, he doesn't start to pick it up, I should and say. And I, I don't think you're wrong, but, I mean, you know, when you look at the at this bench right now, um, I think Cesar offers you a little bit of something as a guy off the bench. I mean... In the sense that he's, you know, he's not going to come in and, and be the guy who's going to hit that pinch hit home run for you necessarily. But he's a switch hitter, so that helps, right? It helps with matchup purposes. You can announce him as your pinch hitter and don't not worry so much about uh, who who the pitcher is going to be or if the opposing manager is going to change relief pitchers. Um, he is he tends to be patient at the plate, um, even if it hasn't, you know, exacerbated itself so far this season. Um, and, and, you know, he can, you know, if he gets on base, he's a, he's a good base runner. So I, like, to me, I think Cesar Hernandez, plus he can play three positions. I mean, he's primarily a second baseman, but has played shortstop and third base in the past. To me, he and he and Kingery could end up flip-flopping roles and this team could find just a little bit more success in that in that regard, like I, I wouldn't be opposed to carrying Cesar Hernandez as the utility guy, as opposed to Scott Kingery as the utility guy. I, I, I don't have a problem with that at all. Talk a little bit about the bench, and I don't think that this is a very good bench. Uh, no, I think it's the, not. I think the Phillies are sort of built like the Sixers in that way, where you go, okay, look at the starting, you know, the starting lineup, and you go, wow, really good, and then you kind of look at what what's beyond that, and you go, oof. Now. I think that they will continue to make additions and tweaks as the season progresses. They have one on their hands that they're going to need to make in the very near future, maybe as soon as this week. And that is going to be concerning Roman Quinn, who appears to be ready to come off the injured list. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago, but Roman Quinn does not have any more options. Um, So it's either now or never with the Phillies and Roman Quinn. Um, Aaron Altair is out of options, and Nick Williams can be optioned back to AAA, but he would be theoretically your one guy off the bench with some left-handed pop. Do you have a feel for what you think the Phillies may do here? I have a guess, and I don't think I like it, but I kind of want to hear from you on this one first. What do you think happens with Roman Quinn, and what do you think the corresponding move is going to be? So I'm assuming that your philosophy is that they're going to temporarily send Nick Williams down and figure it out, right? I think that that's where this is heading. It seems to me yeah. like they don't want to designate Altair for assignment because for whatever reason they think that he has value. Um, well, I guess because I mean, he would be the primary backup center fielder should Herrera go down. 
I, I would rather just move McCutcheon personally. Yeah, but if you have but, but if you have Quinn in the lineup, then you don't need yeah you don't need Altair, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, for that purpose. The, I mean, so I think you're right. I think that's what they're going to do, and I think it's a mistake. I, I would. Roman Quinn can do all the same things in the outfield that Aaron Altair can do. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say he's auto, he's are you know automatically better. I mean they're both good defensive outfielders. Right-handed pop. I yeah, guess. Altair's got a, a, a yeah. I guess he can he can provide that home run threat off the bench. But I think Quinn gives you a lot more. Gives you even more options. Um, look, if you if you're gonna st- at some point they're gonna have to start giving the outfielders a day off here and there, right? Yeah, uh, let me just clarify what I what I said there earlier about you know if Herrera goes down, that that's also under the assumption that Quinn comes back and then then gets hurt too because he always gets hurt. So that that's the gamble that you're taking. Like, do you trust Roman Quinn to to take Altair's spot? You end up losing him altogether, and now you're down to Roman Quinn as your primary depth guy. That's a scary proposition considering his injury history. You know? I mean, and that's that's where I kind of get hung up. Yeah. I, I, I don't think you can sit there and, and – if you're going to shorten the bench to carry an eighth relief pitcher, then you can't worry about a guy's injury history. you got to just hope that he um, – that he can go, and I think that that's I think that's what you end, where you end up, you know, if you're making the decision because oh well we have an option on Nick Williams so let's send him down, and then oh if, if somebody gets hurt we can bring him right back up again and it's not a problem because he has an option left. I, is that making is that benefiting the team? Just so you you know don't have to blow out Aaron Altair? I mean, I don't know. I, you know, the, the other thing... That they, I, I don't they, necessarily think it does. You I could consider, if you want to prolong this a little bit and, and kind of use it as a fact-finding mission, I know the Phillies are hell-bent on carrying that extra reliever, but do some of these guys really warrant that, that last spot on the roster? I mean, and do you, do you want to carry... I guess at that point it would become, what, six outfielders, right? Like, that's that's not ideal. But if they really wanted to buy themselves some time, I guess they could explore that that avenue as well, unless I'm missing something here. Yeah, I mean, you could. I mean, you, you could get rid of a, a relief pitcher and, and carry an extra bench guy for a short term. They're not going to do it long term. They want no. They want yeah, 12, no, yeah. 12 pitchers, right? I mean, or 13 pitchers rather um, in the, in the, on the roster. I mean, long term is what they want. I mean, but you can certainly do it short term and see if something happens, you know, and, and, and whatever. And that's fine. Um, but with the way that they're using this lineup, uh, there's not going to be a lot of opportunities for starts for, for bench guys. Right, and and one of the things that I've heard about Nick Williams is like, well, you know, he can go down there and he can get at-bats every day and that'll be good for his development. Listen, Nick Williams is what he is in this organization. You went out and you made that commitment to Bryce Harper. You made a big financial commitment uh, to Andrew McCutcheon. You have Odubel Herrera in center field. You have guys like Roman Quinn in the organization. You have Moniak and, and you have... All of these different options down the pipeline here. I like Nick Williams. I've always been a supporter of Nick Williams, but the Phillies are kind of beyond needing to get Nick Williams developmental at bats. He's going to be a fourth outfielder on this team. That's what his role will be. That's what his ceiling is with the Phillies. So I don't see the benefit in sending him down for you know getting getting everyday reps like. The developmental phase of Nick Williams is over for the Phillies. 
So I don't think that that makes much sense. And that's one of the reasons I'm a little bit hesitant about doing that. Um, I agree with you. And so, you look, if we're, if, if we're, if you're saying Anthony, what would you do? I DFA Aaron Altair. That's what I do. Um, but it doesn't seem like that's what the Phillies want to do. And I, I question that decision. I question the, 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 I mean, what, what does that leave you for left-handed on the bench? Nothing. Andrew Knapp? Because he's a switch hitter, right? I mean, yeah. I mean that's really what. And I know, you know, Roman Quinn, you know, same thing. But you have no nobody who you could say, you know, oh, we need that guy to come up in the late innings and hit us a home run. Yeah, <laughs> who, who's that? Yeah, you know, I you got to to me, you got to keep Nick Williams in that regard. You have to. But uh, you know, if the, it doesn't sound like that's what they want to do, Bob, and that's that's a little bit concerning to me from a from a management perspective um i don't necessarily know if you're making a decision that's in the best interest of the team that's on the field trying to win right now you're trying to make a decision to hedge a bet for down the road is what i think you're trying to do well i'm very curious to see how that's going to play out um i don't know if you have anything else you uh want to hit before we get out of here but i I definitely do want to just do a quick little dive into the minor leagues and uh Check out on your boy Phil Goslin. How's he doing? Five games in. Yeah. Fourteen at bats. Mm-hmm. And he has six hits. He's hitting four twenty nine right now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So With a uh, double uh, six walks also on top of that. By the yeah. way. Yeah. Well, so I guess this can kind of tie into what we're just discussing, in the sense that this is what I if you if you just DFA Altair. Or even you know whatever whatever the deal is, if you get rid of him, and and then you say, oh well, gee, you got to worry about Roman Quinn getting hurt again. Well, it's not like you don't have guys that you can call up from the minor leagues to come in and fill in as the twenty fifth man. Right. Gosselin um, didn't. Uh, what's his name? Also stick around too. Uh, Lane Adams. Lane Adams. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, I mean I, let's see. Yeah. Yeah. He's still he's still around. Yep. Yeah. I'm just saying. Like, so these are guys who have MLB experience. Who, if you need them up for a couple weeks to be that 25th guy here and there throughout the season, um, that can play the outfield position if need be. You know, or fill in somewhere else. You have it. You have that. You have that depth down in the minor leagues. So, is it worth? Is Aaron Altair really worth that? I mean, Aaron Altair is John Mayberry Jr. to me. I mean, that's really I agree with you, and uh, there's actually some numbers, and I think at one point last season we sort of hit those numbers, and they were startlingly similar. Uh, He's... He's just a guy. Like he's he can do some things. He can run a little bit. The defense is all right. Like he's a major league baseball player. You know, like another team will pick him up. He'll be a part of another team's bench, and he can do some things. There's no doubt about it. But I just don't think the way that this team's constructed, they need to get goofy about trying to to you know circumnavigate things to to keep him on this roster. I just I don't see that happening. I don't see the need for it. So again, we'll see how it plays out. Um, not the most immediate concern on a night like this, but you know we'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I I agree, but I think that there are I think that the team has other options that they don't really need to. That's all I'm trying to point out is that there are other options that this team can utilize to, you know, fill fill a, a hole on the roster if an injury occurs that they don't need to 
cling on to Aaron Altair. Yeah. That's all. All right, so what do we got coming up here for the Phillies this week? We uh, close out the National Series. It'll be Nick Pavetta versus Jeremy Hellickson tomorrow night at Citizens Bank Park. Uh, I, it's a shame the Phillies didn't win this game tonight. They could have swept the Nationals in the series. I agree. All the momentum in the world. They could have just buried them. They would have been up five games in the division with a sweep had they taken care of business. Uh, then they go to Miami and play the Marlins. Oh, that's, that's going to be – I'll tell you what. Phillies are going to lose that series. <laughs> you got Sandy Alcantara on the mound there for the Marlins later this yeah. week. I just I don't like that. They go down there. They're, you talk about – I'll tell you why that's going to be a problematic series for the Phillies. It's the same thing as always, but it's going to be even more pronounced this time. You go from playing in this absolutely electric stadium over the first two weeks of the season to going down there and playing in front of 4,000 Marlins fans. You know, like, it's just going to be – I already know what kind of weekend that's going to be. They'll, they'll get one win, they'll blow one late, and then the, the third game will be the swing game. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing with the Phillies' upcoming schedule is this, Bob. After, after tomorrow's game against the Nats, uh, they have another off day on Thursday, which will mark their fourth off day in the first 15 days of the yeah, season. So 11, 11 games and four off days. They then will play 17 consecutive days in a row. Without an off day. Who so that's an interesting... That, who makes that schedule? I know, you know, well, I know they want to give the players some time to get acclimated once they come back north. Like, I get the early off days being sp- sprinkled in. It makes right. sense. But I would not be thrilled about having to play for 17 consecutive days at that point. That takes yeah. them, what, right through the end of April, right? Uh, almost. Yeah. Yeah, almost the end of April. Yeah, so you go... They go to Miami, then they come home to play the Mets, and then they go on a, uh, a seven-game road trip... Colorado Mets. That's a weird trip. Go to Denver, come back to New York, and then the Marlins for four at home. So it's not like it's yeah. a it's not like it's a crushing schedule by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just a it's a schedule where they're gonna need the starting pitchers to, you know, have a few games here and there because you can't this bullpen's gonna be exasperated <laughs> by the end of April yeah. if the pitchers don't start giving them some length. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I think that, that that pretty much wraps it up for me. I mean, I, I, I was going to do a whole thing about Vince Velasquez, but frankly, I just I don't care. We'll, we'll do it after his next start. We'll have more of a sample to work with. That's right. I mean, yeah, nice. it was a nice start. Yeah, but, it was uh, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was fine. Well, well, we'll see what happens. With his, when, is, when does he throw again? He throws uh, one, two, three, four. So he's, he'll pitch in that Miami series. Yeah. So we'll see how he does yeah, against so that. So if we're not po- talking that- about a very effective Vince Velasquez after that game, then I think see, we're in trouble. See how he does against that potent lineup yeah. down in down in Miami. That's right. <laughs> All right. So for uh, for Bob, I'm Anthony. Uh, don't forget to tune in to the uh, other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcasting Network. Um, we have uh, the, cross, uh, the Crossing Broadcast, which is the um, – flagship show here uh, it's usually russ and kevin uh, talking about anything and everything uh, a lot of sixers talk on there uh, a lot of eagles as well but they tech they do check in on all of the other philadelphia sports including esports now because kevin kevin's got this thing now where he's going to the new esports arena to to watch some of these video game geeks playing video games with each other um so they're talking about that on the crossing broadcast bob that's pr- that's kind of fun esports are you into esports no. So he, so here's the thing. I would I would certainly be into it if it was more sports. 
<laughs> yeah, like if it were uh, the like Madden, if, the Madden League, yeah, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something yeah. like that. If we're playing, look, you know, draft your team, you know, fa- like a fantasy kind of thing, and put your team out against it, and then you can you make trades during the year, and that would be kind of fun stuff. And I have want, the best I want players you to playing. date yourself here, real quick. What was the last video game that you bought for yourself? Well, this is a little. Unf- you got to remember, I have kids, right? Right. So, and my both of my sons are video game guys. Okay. Um, so, there, there. I have many, many video game purchases. However, um, what you say to me? What video games do I play now? Yeah. Only, are you, the, do you still play? The only ones I will ever hop on are like sports oriented video okay. games. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't play the the stuff that my my sons play. Although I did, uh, Andrew got, um, rec- I don't know, about a month ago, got that, uh, red, what is it called? Yeah, red Dead Revolution I know, yeah, some, yeah, two, something like that. Or whatever, something like that. And I was watching him play that. I'm like, this is a pretty cool video game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every time I kind of like just see these games, I go, damn, yeah. like that's, that's pretty that's sweet, a pretty, but that's a pretty cool game. I, I can't get into it. Like I, I have Xbox one and I buy Madden once a year and that's really all I, I will play. Yeah. And I play it for a couple days and, and then I, I, then I don't anymore. Like I I was pretty into it though back in the day. Like I'm 33 years old, so like I went from Nintendo to Super Nintendo. I had Sega Genesis. I was a brat. My parents got me all the systems. It was awesome. I was really into video games for a long time. And now in my adult years, it, I I feel like I've become the guy that I never wanted to be. I'm like I, I just don't have time. And I yeah. really don't. I I don't have t- I don't have time to play it like I used to. But I, every once in a while I'll find a free day. At- I'll bounce down there and play MLB The Show or And, and you know what else I don't Madden have time for? Something. Yeah. Watching other people play video games. But I'm that's sure the there's that, something to it. I'm, I'm sure there the is. That, I'm not trying to hate on it, but it, it's not for me. That's the thing that I will never understand. Yeah. Watching yeah. other people play a video game. And some of the ones that, you, that, I'm, that they're doing, they're like, are you kidding me? It's like I can't even follow what the hell they're doing. Yeah. With the one with the cars and the bouncing off the walls and flipping around and I I, I don't I don't know I did playing cars playing soccer, it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Esports um, are the future, but that's it, right? Esports are the future. So yeah, you, they they talk about that on the Crossing broadcast. Um, uh, Snow the goalie with me and Russ. We just wrapped up the Flyers season. Um, actually, we had uh, Paul President Paul Holmgren on our last episode. Bubbly personality. Uh, Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. Um, and uh, so we had him on for that. That came out over the weekend. So if, you missed, if you've missed that, tune into that one. We will have one more to kind of wrap up the season and get ready for the off season, And then we'll kind of, instead of going on a weekly basis, we'll probably spread it out to uh, bi-weekly um, as we approach the draft. We'll maybe ramp it up a little bit again in free agency. But um, we'll take a little bit of a break. Uh, and then there's the uh, two soccer podcasts. It's always soccer in Philadelphia with the red-hot Philadelphia Union. I think they won uh, their third consecutive game on Saturday. Um, Go crazy, folks. Well, you should have seen Russ. We were at the fl- the final Flyers game, and he's sitting there in the press box. Okay, first of all, he was late. That was number one because um, he had a birthday party to go to. And I'm like, come on, Russ. You know, I, I spent the day in the hospital, and I beat you down here. <laughs> and uh, um, and uh, so then he gets there and automatically goes to his YouTube TV account to start watching Union Soccer. And I'm like, Russ, what are you doing, man? You're at the hockey game. Mm. And I get it. The game didn't matter, but whatever. See, we got all, we got all pumped at the Union one. So um, it's that Russ isn't even involved with the uh, Union podcast. <laughs> that would be Kevin Kincaid uh, and, a, and a varying uh, group of uh, 
of co-hosts that he has on that show. And then, of course, the one that Russ is involved with with soccer um, is uh, Crossing Broad FC, um, which is he hosts with Phil Kaidel, where they talk about the European soccer uh, leagues, the myriad of leagues over in Europe, and um, they talk all about that. And Phil gives bad picks, from what I understand. Uh, from I what think, I understand. I think he's actually heating up lately. Has he? Yeah, I think it was a rocky start, and I think he's he's kind of caught. Well, I, I don't know if I want to say that, but I think he's gotten better. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. So anyway, check them all out. Oh, and oh, and uh, have you guys started the betting one yet? Um, yeah, you got broad, broad lines. lines. Yeah. There's a yeah. uh, Kyle Scott and is. Um, emerge from a cave yeah. and uh he's on broad lines uh, and he's doing that right now with a guy named jason zernicki who uh we've partnered with uh he's from betnewjersey.com so they uh will be talking about i believe the masters will be the next thing that they release uh, they have a master's preview uh, maybe you know, some long shots some guys that you should look at maybe some ways to make some money on that i got some thoughts on the nhl playoffs bob we should uh, we should talk about that i'm more not on this show yeah but we should text. talk about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't no, even have to the... be recreational purposes because uh, <laughs> I live in the Garden State, Anthony, and so That's it right. be recreational for you, but for me. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I closed the season pretty strong. Let's That's just put good. it that way. Yeah. To hear that. But now, now it's playoff time. It's time so. to get serious. This is where legends yeah. are born, man. Exactly. So anyway, <laughs> he's Bob. I'm Anthony. I'm sure we'll check in next week uh, uh, as the Phillies uh, wrap up this uh, series with the with the Nationals and head to Miami for a three-game set with the Marlins, and we'll give you all of our thoughts uh, on the those four games uh, at the beginning of next week. So uh, thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>